I want to ask you a question tonight. What time is it? What time is it? If you're wearing a watch, you look at that watch and you say, we're 20 minutes into the hour. According to the church constitution, every service must be an hour long. You've got 40 minutes, preacher. What time is it? According to my text here, it's high time. You see that in verse 11? It's high time. You know, time is very important. It's important to know what time it is. It's important to know where you're supposed to be and what time you're supposed to be there. And it's important to get started on time. Amen? Uh, I was going to a, an appointment in Parkersburg. All of my appointments are in another city, you know? I had to be in Parkersburg because I'd broken a tooth. And they said, yeah, we're going to help you take care of that. I said, it's an emergency situation. I broke my tooth. Can you help me? They said, yes, in two weeks. So two weeks came around. I, I, I was at the house, and I think I was taking a nap. I think it was Monday and my day off, and I was taking a nap, and I got up late. And I had to be at the, the dental office, and it takes me about an hour to get there. And so I, I thought, well, I'm going to be pushing it, but maybe if I'm a little bit late, they'll have mercy on me. I took off, and I got there, you know, and got into the office, and I was late by about 15 or 20 minutes. And they told me, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to reschedule. <laughs> and that drives me nuts, doesn't it? Does that, does that not bother anybody else? Because, you know, when you get there on time, you're going to be sitting there for about a half an hour after the appointed time. And then they're going to say, John, you can come in now. And I'll say, I've been here for a half an hour. But when it's the other way around, then they say, we're going to have to reschedule. But that's just an aside. It's important, though, to be on time for things. Then I was over in Parkersburg one day getting some dental work done, and uh, Beth had to go do something else, and I had to be back on time to get uh, Jason Lilly off of the bus. And so uh, there I was leaving the dental office, and it took longer than what it was supposed to. And I was coming home, and I thought, man, I'm not going to make it on time. And Jack, the bus driver, he's going to be mad at me. He's going to call the principal, and oh, no, I'm not going to make it there on time. So I'm speeding down the road, and I'm thinking about how I already got a speeding ticket around here one time, and I don't want to do that again. But I'm going down the road as fast as I possibly can. I come down the hill, come around the bend, and uh, there's no bus there. Nobody's waiting, so I thought I missed them, you know. And I pull into the driveway, and anyways, I, I uh, called Beth, and I said, have you gotten a call yet from Jack or from Miss Tricia? And, and she said, no, and I said, all right, I made it on time. But, you know, it's important sometimes that you're on time and to know what time it is. Well, Paul's got something here. He says, and that knowing the time... That it is high time to awake out of sleep. I want to preach tonight on the subject, what time is it? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bow before uh, the throne of grace, God, we thank you tonight, Lord, that uh, you were right on time. That in the fullness of time, you sent forth your Son into this world to be born of a virgin, he was born to die. But he lived his life and did everything that his heavenly father had for him to do. And he fulfilled all of the works that you gave him to do. And he stayed busy until he got it all done. Until finally he laid down his life and let some cruel men nail his hands and nail his feet to that old wooden cross. And raise him up 
to bear our sins, to bear our sorrows, to, to come under the wrath of God to pay for our sins. And on the cross, he said, it's finished. And it was all right on time. Everything was planned. Everything was just right. The world was ripe and ready for the gospel. And you've got a, you've got a calendar. You've got a clock. And Lord, you know when Jesus is going to come back. You know when you're going to wrap things up down here with the church age. We might live, and I think we're going to live, Lord, to see the consummation of the church age. We're going to live to hear that trumpet, to hear our, our names from heaven, to hear our Lord say, come up hither, and to ever be with the Lord. And in the meantime, Lord, I pray that you would awaken this sleepy church and awaken the sleepy Christians in this area in this township, in this, in this county. Lord, awaken them to righteousness. I pray tonight, Lord, that we would wake up. In Jesus' name, amen. As you look at Romans 13 and verse 11, he says that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed the night. The night is far spent. The night is the time since Jesus left this world at his ascension. And now we're in the night. The world is under the power of the wicked one. And the world lives in darkness. Jesus was the light of this world. Now he's gone away and now we're the light of this world. The church is the light of this world. He says, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, as in the day. But he says, awake out of sleep, verse 11. Sleep is the Christian inactive in the cause of the gospel. Sleep is a euphemism for death. And it's like a sinful stupor that comes over a believer and makes them indifferent to eternal things. And he says, wake up! Wake up! Sleepers, awake! Just like that great song in Handel's Messiah, sleepers Awake. And he, and he says, Awake, thou that sleepest. The day is when Christ returns to take us out of here. The day is when we see the sun rise. The sun of righteousness, he rises. It's the consummation of the church age. And we've only got a little time to serve the Lord. So first of all, I'd like to say, it's time to get up. What time is it? It's time to get up. He says, awake out of sleep. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14 says this, Wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You know, I want to I say to myself and to the church tonight, don't waste your life. Don't waste the life that God has given you on worldly pleasures. Don't let this world lull you to sleep. This world can romance you and soothe your flesh and give you pleasures that will put you to sleep spiritually. Don't do that. Stay alert. 
Watch out. Watch for the things that the devil brings into your life to get you to cool off on God. To get you to, to go to sleep at a time when we ought to be alert, when we ought to be awake for the Lord. I was talking to Lucas about my sermon tonight as I was getting him ready. I said, Lucas, what time is it? And he says, it's morning time. It's morning time. Because I just got him up from a nap. And uh, it's, although it's four o'clock in the afternoon, he says it's morning time. Because to him, if you're getting up, it's morning time. But I thought that's a good answer, Lucas. That's right. It's morning time. It's time to wake up. It's not time to nap and to sleep and to slumber. You know, the Bible says, she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she yet liveth. It says that of a Christian woman. Living in pleasure. Just to sleep. Euphemism for death. The Lord doesn't want us living our lives down here like that. We don't have time to waste. He only gives you so much. Somebody once observed that a wasted life is really nothing more than a collection of wasted days. There's nothing more sad. There's nothing more pitiful. There's nothing more terrible than a wasted life that Christ gives to you. And then to take it and then to just waste it. That's awful. A wasted life, just a collection of wasted days. God gives us all life. Each one of us, we start the new year with the same opportunities. We have 365 days. Well, 363. We can choose to either invest this time and to use it for the Lord, to use it wisely, to allow our lives to be in the hands of God and just to be alive, to be fully alive for God. Or you could just choose to live in worldly pleasure and, and to let the world lull you to sleep with just another, it's just the next thing that just comes down the pipe. It's just the next thing to distract you. The next thing to, 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 to intoxicate you. The next thing to just, uh, just get you off of God's program and plan and path. To get you to, it's just like, you know, have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Christian and, and his friend, I think it was Faithful at that time, they're going down God's pathway for them and they're heading to the celestial city, but they go to this place and, it start, and they start to feel sleepy. And, they, and, they, and so they take a while, they take a break and they get off of the path and they, they kind of, they lay down and, and they're getting sleepy and they're, they're lulled to sleep. And Christian realizes what's happening and he tries to tell his friend, don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep. And it's a picture of what this world tries to do to us. To make us just indifferent to eternal things. We're not to live in this world the rest of the way, the, the, the way that the rest of the people live. You can choose to either invest your life in eternal things or to allow your life to just drift by without taking advantage of the gift that you've been given. You say, what's the gift? Time. Time. Time is the gift. Time is something that we feel like we never have enough of. Isn't that right? I think about that more and more the other night. Uh, and excuse me for talking about the kids so much tonight, but it's really been on my heart, so it's really from my heart. But the other night I just went in and I got Lucas out of bed, and he was asleep. But I just got him up out of bed and just put, put him up on my shoulder and just held him and prayed for him. And just was hugging him, you know? How good that feels to hug a little. Well, pretty soon it's going to be too big to do that. And just praying for him, praying, praying the Lord will bless him and 
and just praying that he'll get saved, even praying for one day for the woman that he'll meet, that he'll marry, and things like that. Because one of these days he'll be too heavy for me to pick up and to do that. So I'm really trying to enjoy it. Because why? Because it goes by so fast, somebody told me. They said, enjoy it. It goes by so fast. And that's true about life. I know, I've, I've known uh, saints of God who have gotten to the end of their lives, the end of their ministry, and maybe uh, I think of a woman, a dear woman that's uh, been such a friend to me and an encourager, Judy Edmonds, and her husband. Uh, I was there the day that, that we uh, buried her husband, and, and we had the, the, basically it was a revival service, that funeral service. I mean, it was a, it was a wonderful funeral and we talked about all the work that Gary had done for the Lord, but he had wasted probably like a third of his life. And then as, an, as a young adult, turned his life over to the Lord, but then he went just 100 miles an hour for the Lord for the rest of his life, and he did a lot. But he got to the point, folks, he got to the point where he'd tell me, John, I just can't go the way I used to. I'd love to just go take another meeting. I'd love to go somewhere else and sing and play my guitar. I'd love to go down to the fair and stand there at the Amazing Grace tent and pass out tracks and, and lead people to Christ underneath that tent. And I'd love to go to the fair in Columbus and the fair here and, the, and, the, and there. They were involved in that ministry. He said, but John, I'm just getting too old and I can't do it anymore. My heart wants to do it. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. But there was a man at the end of his life and we talked about all the things that he had done for the Lord. He spent his life the right way. You might, have, you might have wasted years behind you. You might have not started well, but you can end well. Amen. That's what I want to do. I didn't start right, but I want to end right. And that's something where I've got I to look at my life and look at it like I've got time to serve the Lord. We've got a plan like we've got another year. We've got a plan like we've got another 10 years. Now the Lord might come back. We might not have another year. We might have things planned for this fall, and we do. We might have things planned, but we might not ever get to do those things, but we should be planning. Because what gets planned and what gets scheduled actually gets done. If you say, I'm going to do this, I am going to come to church when the doors are open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if you say that, if you plan for it, if you schedule for it, if you clear off your calendar, you'll do it. If you schedule for it, if you plan for it. If you say, every day when I wake up, I'm going to meet with the Lord. I'm going to get my Bible. I'm going to go to my favorite place. I'm going to get alone with the Lord, free from all distraction. I'm going to spend my time letting God talk to me, meditating on His Word, and then talking to the Lord about what's going on in my life and, and about what I read in the Bible. If you schedule it, if you make it a priority, it gets done. We're talking about time here. What time is it? It's time to get up. If you've been sleepy or if you've been sleeping on the Lord, it's time to get up. It's time to wake up. Somebody once said that time is free, but it's priceless. You think about it. If you don't have a dollar to your name, if you don't have a dollar to your name, you can still tell somebody, I'll be there. I'm going to come and watch that. I'm going to come and be with you. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm going to sit and listen to you and have a conversation and show you that I care about you. You can do that and you don't have a dollar to your name. 
Time is free, but it's priceless. You can't put a price on it. Think about it. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't buy more time, no matter how much money you have. You can't keep it. You know that? You can't keep it. When today, when the day is done, you lay your head down on your pillow, you, you give eight hours, and, and well, that, wouldn't that be a blessing if you get eight solid hours of sleep? But you lay down to sleep, guess what? Another day is done. You can't get it back. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. How are you going to spend your time? Once you lost it, you can never get it back. Once you lose the time that you could have spent with your wife or with your children, once you lose the time you could have spent with your church or serving the Lord, you can never get it back. But if you got it, if you got it, you wake up. Wake up and use it for the Lord. It's time to get up. To awake out of sleep. You say, why is it time to get up? Because the night is far spent and the day is at hand. And you are saved. But there's people you know that's not. There's people you know that are not saved. And listen, if they, if they see in your life a life of hypocrisy... If they see in you just another worldling that's just asleep on the Lord. I remember hearing the testimony of a man uh, by the name of David Cloud. He's got a lot of real good Bible teaching. You, you can look it up on the internet. But he talks about his testimony as a young man growing up in a Southern Baptist church. And he grew up in Sunday school and he got all the pens, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Memorized the verses, did all those kind of things. And he ran around with some other kids, you know, and... Went to public school, and these friends that he ran around with, uh, some of them called themselves Christians, others didn't. Others were just outright, just uh, non-believers. And, and at one time, they were going to have a revival meeting or something like that at his church, and something he really wanted them to come to. And so one of the, one of the boys was a ringleader, and he was an unbeliever, and he was telling that boy, you've got to come to church, you've got to come to church. And that boy said to him, why? Why? You go there, and you're just the same as me. You like the same dirty pictures that I like. You like the same dirty jokes that I like. You like doing the things that we do. You like gambling like I like. Why should I come to church? You're no different than me. You see? Dead. Asleep on the Lord. Not fully, alive, not fully awake. Not fully alive for the Lord. It's important because of your witness to get up to awake out of sleep. And to get ready, to get ready because the Lord's coming back. He says in verse 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. It's time to get ready for the Lord to come back. Our salvation is nearer than when we believed. And how are we to get ready? Well, he talks about casting off and putting on. But I want you to think about it like this. If we're getting ready for the Lord to come back, that means that we need to get serious about living for the Lord. I told you a little bit about my friend, and he's a dear friend to me. He's my best friend. 
And he was telling me his testimony about his daughter and the way that he raised his oldest daughter and the way that he's trying to raise his youngest daughter. And he said, we made a lot of mistakes with our, young, or with our oldest daughter because they weren't in church. They weren't getting the influence that they needed. And he said, we made a lot of mistakes with her. But he said, I want to tell you something. The other day she was talking to me and she was talking to me about crystals and about tarot cards and things like that. And he said to her, he said, listen, you know what kind of man I am. You know me probably better than anybody else. But you know that your dad loves the Lord. You know that your dad gave his life to Christ. You know that your dad reads his Bible. And that stuff is a bunch of lies. The crystals, the tarot cards, there's nothing to it. Jesus is the the truth and if you'll give your life to him he will bless your life but if you follow that path there's a way that seems right unto a man the end thereof are the ways of death and he just he pled with his daughter and she wanted to go out of the house half naked up top and he said you're not going out the house like that you're going to pick up the wrong kind of attention and you know what she didn't get mad at him Or his wife who was there on his side saying the same thing. She didn't get mad. He thought she was going to. But you know what he said? He said, I think she felt like we cared about her. And you know what happened? She at least put on some different clothes before she left. And he said, since then, I've caught her reading her Bible. You see? You see? We've got to get ready. The Lord is coming back. And we can do something for the Lord. But only if we're awake. And only if we're looking for the Lord to come back. Because listen, if you're looking for the Lord to come back, then there's a sense of urgency. Back when I was in the army, you were out of uniform. If you didn't have a watch on and if you didn't have a pen. Because at any moment, if somebody said to you, soldier, you need to sign here, you need to put your name down there, you, you're, you're going to pull guard duty, you've got to put your name down, time you came in, time you went out, make your reports. You've got to know what time it is to be able to put your time on that report. So you better have your watch on. And if you didn't have your watch, and if you didn't have your pen, you did push-ups. And other fun things. And they were teaching you something. To know what time it is. To know where you're supposed to be. And to to have a sense of urgency. They told, you know, that's one thing I learned there. If you're going to do something, man, then have a sense of urgency about it. Don't be, (laughs) don't be like my friend who was the, uh, my friend who was, oh, should I tell the story? I, I, the sham master. Yeah, that's who it was. I had a friend, I can't remember his last name. I remember a lot of their last names. And I had this friend, and when I first got to the platoon in uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I got uh, into the battalion I'd be serving with, and then the company, and then finally the platoon, I remember meeting this guy, Spurgeon was his name. And uh, he was an E4, and I got in there, and I was just a private. And I met him, and everybody kind of looked up to him, because he just had this personality about him, you know what I'm saying? And... uh, and he was just good at just getting away with everything. Like everybody else would be doing work and somehow he'd get out of it. And, and it's because he knew the right people and people liked him. And, uh, and I, one time I asked him, I said, uh, I said, Specialist Spurgeon, I said, what is it that you got? Because you got something. And uh, he said, I've learned a few things. He said, I'll teach them to you if you want to know. And I said, well, yeah, teach me. And he said, well, I'm a sham master. 
And I said, you're the sham master. And he said, yeah, I'm the sham master. And I said, okay, well, teach me. <laughs> and he said, this is what you do. First of all, you need to look like you know what you're doing. So he said, you said, you see my BDUs? And I said, yeah, I see them. And they look perfect. You had to have them back then. You had to have them like pressed with heavy starch. You said, you see my boots? He said, they look good, don't they? I said, yeah, they do. <laughs> he said, you see my beret? I look good, don't I? And, he, you know, he was, he was full of himself. He's like, you've got to look like you know what you're doing. And if you look like you know what you're doing, people will think you know what you're doing. And then he said, here's another thing. If it's, if it's time to do some work, you know, if, like, if things calm down around here and we're just all sitting around watching TV or playing video games or something like that, they're going to put you to work. They don't want you just sitting around. So this is what you do. If you start to see the platoon sergeant coming around, you grab like a folder or something, grab a folder, put a pen in your hand, and then walk real quick somewhere away from the platoon sergeant and the platoon. Walk real quick away with something in your hand. It looks like you're going to go do something. You got something important to do. And I was like, this is brilliant, Spurgeon. This is, tell me more. Tell me more. He said, so you got to look like you know what you're doing. But he said, listen, you really got to know what you're doing. You got to know your stuff because people respect that. He's like, you know why people like me? Why people respect me? Because I know my stuff. He's like, I know everything about the 240 Bravo machine gun. I know, I know my stuff. I passed the boards. I'm ready to do my, my uh, E5 board. He's like, I know what I'm doing. But he's like, <laughs> he's like, you probably don't know what you're doing yet. So if you, if, you do, if you don't know what you're doing, you at least got to look like you know what you're doing. And if you don't know what you're doing, just look cool. <laughs> I was like, bam, right there it is. Just look cool. But you know what he was? He was the sham master. You know what it means to sham? It means to get out of the work. They're the people, they're good at getting out of the work. They're the sham masters. They're the ones that if, if, the, if the boss is calling and they need somebody to come in, they don't pick up the phone. And that's funny, but, you know, in the Lord's army, you don't need to be a sham master. <laughs> you want to be the people who are busy. It's time to get ready because the Lord's coming back. If you notice there in Romans <clears throat> chapter 13 and verse 11, he says, cast off. Do you see that there? Cast off the works of darkness. That language is language that's used for getting dressed, like taking off a dress, taking off some clothing. Let us cast off the works of darkness and then let us put on. You see that? That's like taking clothing off, putting clothing on. That's like taking off the dirty clothes and putting on the armor of light, putting on the clean clothes. You know, uh, for some, it might be time to take off the party dress and to put on the church dress, if you know what I mean. You know what I mean when, uh, when you're getting ready to go out, you're getting ready to go clubbing or something like that? There's a way that you look. There's a way that you act. There's a way that you do your makeup. There's a way that you put on the clothes that were probably stolen from a department store. Uh, if you were hanging around my sister. There's a way that you act. There's a way that you talk. Because why? Because you're getting ready to go out, if you know what I mean. I remember my mom playing this song, Put on your bobby socks, baby. Throw on your old blue jeans. You know what that was all about? Going out. Going out. He says, cast off the works of darkness, 
Put on, the, put on the clothes that honor the Lord. You say, you talking about the way I dress? That's not what Paul's talking about. But he's using something we can understand. When you are going to do something for the Lord, you dress different than you're dressing when you go out to a nightclub. And the attitude and the heart is different. Now put that into the spiritual. The Lord says, you, you, you got the works of darkness that you're wearing. What he's talking about is he's talking about your manner of life. He's talking about the way that you're walking through this world. And he says, put on the armor of light. In other words, take off the old man, the the person you used to be, what might have been. Take off the old man and put on Christ. And yes, our, our clothing, the way that we dress, the way that we hold ourselves, the way that we talk ought to honor the Lord. Yes, that's true. It ought to honor the Lord. For example, if you're a man, you should dress like a man. <laughs> if you're a woman, you should dress like a woman. Uh, I'm watching men dress like Ellen DeGeneres and wear capris, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I never will. Men wearing skinny pants, I'll never get it. Never understand that. Of course, I couldn't understand men wearing bell bottoms either. But are you getting ready to serve the Lord? By taking off the old man and putting on the new? Or are you getting ready for infidelity and to do something where you're, you're uh, out there living in the world? When the Lord comes back, is He going to find your hand in the cookie jar? Or is He going to find you waiting and watching and working for Him, worshiping Him? And, and this is what the deal is here. while we're waiting, we're supposed to let love rule in our relationships. Verse 10, love worketh no ill. He's talking about walking in the Spirit and fulfilling the righteousness of the law. Well, verse 10 is talking about the table of commandments that have to do with our neighbor. If you think about it, if you love somebody, you won't hurt them. I heard this, uh, Beth and I were listening to a preacher the other night, just happened to catch him on Sermon Audio, catches church's live webcast. And he's talking about, if you think about it, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to take anything that belongs to them. If you love your neighbor, uh, you're not going to kill them. You know, you're not going to steal from them, kill them. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to lie to them. If you love your neighbor, you're going to seek their good. But if you love yourself more than you love your neighbor, and if you love yourself more than you love the Lord, you know what you might do? You might covet what they have. And you might want what they have, and you just might try to take it. You might kill your neighbor. And uh, I've seen some people get mad enough where they just about do. I've seen some people where, and uh, things maybe we shouldn't talk about, things that aren't very nice, but a man comes home and you mess around with a man and make him jealous, he'll come home mad enough to kill. And I'm not talking about killing his wife. if If you love yourself... You might just steal something from somebody else if you love yourself more. And if you love yourself more than you love God, you might do all of those things and not not live looking for the Lord to come back. Let love rule all of your relationships. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love, listen to this, love seeks the highest good of the object of its affection. The object of its affection. In other words, if you love somebody, you're going to show them affection. How do you spell love? 
in a relationship? T-I-M-E. If somebody loves you, kids, mark this down. If somebody loves you, they'll spend time with you. If they don't spend time with you, it's because they don't really love you. If I give my time to you, if I give my time to you, I'm giving my time to you to the exclusion of all else. I'm giving my time to you alone. I'm giving something to you that's so valuable that I can never get it back. I can't buy it. I've only got so much. And I'm giving some of it to you. That's showing you that I love you. And so therefore, in a relationship, that would mean that you spend a lot of time with the object of your love, say a spouse. You spend a lot of time listening, watching, talking, enjoying each other's company. Love seeks the highest good of the object of its affection. So in other words, it's affection and it's correction. Love would never allow or permit sin in the life of somebody that you love. You wouldn't permit it, just like with my friend Ed and his daughter. He loved her so much, he wouldn't allow her to go on in that superstition and in that lie. He loved her too much. And so it's affection and it's correction. Sometimes there needs to be correction in the life of the person that you love. And uh, the Lord will give you wisdom in knowing when to do that. But it's time to wake up. It's time to get ready for the Lord to come back. He says our salvation is nearer than when we believed. You say, what does that mean? I thought we were already saved. Listen, salvation has three tenses, okay? We'll say this and move on to our last point. Salvation is the moment that you get saved. You're saved from sin's penalty. You're saved from sin's penalty. The moment that you trust Jesus Christ, you'll never have to pay for your sins in hell. You're being saved right now in life from sin's power. In life, you're progressively being saved from sin's power. You can get victory over that thing that comes to mind when I start talking about stuff like I'm talking about. You can get victory. You can have victory. It is yours. You possess it, but you just don't know it. You're being saved from sin's power, and then one day, praise the Lord, you're going to be saved from sin's presence. When he comes back, he takes us up out of this world and our salvation is complete. And that's what he's talking about. Our salvation draweth nigh. There's a lot of people who really, they feel that, man. They feel that. Chinese over Christmas, the Chinese Christians, a lot of them couldn't even celebrate Christmas. It was illegal. There's people being killed around the world on Christmas Day while we're sitting there opening up our presents on Christmas morning. There's Christians in other parts of the world that are being killed. They're they're detained in prisons because of their faith. There's people who are looking forward to that salvation coming. And it's not only time to get ready, it's time, lastly, to get busy. He says, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness. And you know, every stupid thing that I've ever done, is I've done it when I was intoxicated. A lot of men would be better men if they would just leave the alcohol alone. There's a lot of stupid things that happen that you would never do if you were sober. But when you're rioting and when you're, when you're drunk, then you'll be involved in the chambering and the wantonness. Where otherwise, you'd be a much better man if you'd just leave it alone. Not in strife 
and envying. That's the result of all those things. It's time to get busy. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. If you want to get busy for the Lord, this is what you do. You cut things out of your life that get between you and the Lord. You see what I'm saying, folks? This is the side of the gospel that you need to hear, especially if you have some besetting sin. It needs to be preached, and sometimes it can be preached too much. Talking about everything that's bad for us, everything that's wrong, everything that we should not do, that creates legalists after a while. But listen, there's things in your life that you need to just cut off, break off those sins. Get that stuff out of your life. If it comes between you and the Lord, I don't care if it's music or what it is. If it's a television show, if it's a, if it's a friendship, a so-called friendship, separate yourself. Get it out of your life. Make not provision for the flesh. If there's some ungodly relationship that you're involved in, get out of it. If you can't have a phone on your person without looking at pornography when nobody's looking, get rid of that thing. Make no provision for the flesh. This is serious business. You're supposed to be doing something for the Lord. you got souls around you dying, going out into eternity. And you'd fool around with that junk? The Lord says, get rid of it. Make not provision for the flesh. Don't go places where you're tempted. Don't put yourself in that situation. Look, I don't trust this flesh. I don't trust this flesh. I don't want to put myself in a situation where I might do something that I'd regret for the rest of my life. And regret when I get to the judgment seat of Christ. When I see all the, all the, all the things that people have done for the Lord and, it, and it passed through the fire and all the rewards that they're getting and they did it because they loved the Lord and then I see my piddly little couple of things the Lord allowed me to do and I see my little rewards and I think, you know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of I love myself more than I love my Savior. I loved sin more than I love my Savior. And that's why that other person has more rewards than I do. It's because the difference is, the difference is, they love the Lord more than I did. That's the difference. I'm telling you, don't make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame, Paul said. What I'm saying, folks, is as we start this year out, we've got 363 days. Started out by getting thoroughly, thoroughly right with the Lord. Now, notice I did not say get thoroughly religious. And some people try to throw that out at you. Oh, you're just holier than thou. You're just goody two shoes. You just think you're better than everybody else. Just never mind that. Get thoroughly right with the Lord. Go into a room And get alone with the Lord and don't come out until you're absolutely clean and absolutely surrendered to His will. And you say, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I'm just not willing. If I'm honest with you and if I'm honest with myself, I'm not willing. Just say, Lord, make me willing. You ever thought about that? Lord, make me willing. Change my heart. Change my desires. Change my appetites. Change my goals. Change who I am. Repentance is a lifelong process. Get everything out of your life that comes between you and the Lord. If you're going to do something for the Lord, then do it now. Do it now. What are you waiting for? 
a man by the name of Keith Matheny. He used his talent for the Lord as he was entertaining the Marietta Bible College uh, staff and students at the Christmas banquet this last this previous year. And Keith Matheny, <clears throat> he was a man who's he's a he's a mentalist. He's like a Christian magician. We're going to have him come in and uh, show us his uh, program uh, this year at the church, Lord willing, probably for our uh, sweetheart banquet. But he, he did his thing. And it was, a, it, I mean, it was impressive. And I know. I grew up, my mom was a bartender. I saw all kinds of acts come through the Holiday Inn bar. All kinds of hypnotists and all kinds of stuff. Magicians, comedians, bands, everything. This guy was top notch. And afterward, I went up to him and I said, you know what? <clears throat> Out in the world, you could make a lot of money. And you know that. You don't need me to tell you that. You could make a lot of money doing what you're doing. And you could live for this world and make a, a good run at it. But I said, I appreciate it tonight. And I told him my testimony. I said, I appreciate that you're doing it for the Lord. And he says, I have been for quite a while. And he said, thank you for that. And he said, I've thought about that. And I said, I appreciate that you're doing that for the Lord. And it was really a blessing to me tonight. What do you have? What talent do you have? What can you do for the Lord? Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. What do you have that you could give to God? And are you letting God use you for his glory? As I close, somebody's calculated that a typical lifespan of 70 years is spent in sleep 23 years. 23 years of your life in sleep. That's 32.9% of your life. In work, 16 years of your life, 22.8% of your life will be spent in work. Television, 8 years. This is coming from 1992 from the Daily Bread. 1992. Television, 8 years, 11.4% of your life. Eating, 6 years, 8.6%. Travel, 6 years, 8.6%. Leisure, 4.5 years. Leisure is important. But 6.5%. Illness, four years. Might spend four years of your life sick. 5.7%. Dressing yourself, two years of your life spent dressing yourself. I'll withhold any comments. 2.8%. Religion, 0.5 years. That's 0.7%. Now that's talking about, I've read this before, that's talking about one hour on Sunday morning and five minutes of a daily devotional time. If you do that, 0.5, a half of a year you'll give to the, light, to the Lord of uh, the Lord's things. That's not good enough. You really got to think about how you spend your time. And um, listen, if what the Lord wants you to do when he comes back, if, if he wants you to be getting a good night's rest, that's what you should be doing. Because some people will be sleeping when the Lord comes back, literally. That's what you ought to be doing. But if you're supposed to be in church, that's where you're supposed to be when the Lord comes back. If you're supposed to be reading your Bible, well, that's what you're supposed to be doing. But if it's time to go witnessing, you know, we're going to have a monthly church-wide visitation this year. We're going to try that. If it's time to go witnessing and go, go uh, handing out invitations to church, well, that's what you're supposed to be doing. If it's time to be just playing with the kids, if it's time to take your wife out on a date, if it's time to be at work, 
Well, that's what you're supposed to be doing, and you can do it in good conscience, man. If it's time for you to get dressed, the Lord's reasonable. If it's time for you to go on vacation, that's what you're supposed to be doing. But I'm saying you've got you to look at your life and say, I've only got so much time. Am I giving the Lord my time? Am I being wise with it? What time is it? It's high time. And we don't have time to be wasting on living for the pleasures of this world. You've only got a little time down here. And what you do in this little time, this is your life. One of my favorite evangelists, Sam Gipp, said, this is your life in the timeline of the church age. From, from A.D. 33 to A.D. 2033, if the Lord comes back then, which that'd be two, 2,000 years, that'd make sense. That's your life. Little time. What are you going to do with it? And what you do in your life determines your eternity. The rewards that you have in eternity, the, the, the job that the Lord's going to give you in the millennium, thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, you're going to be doing something, and He's going to reward you based upon how faithful you were in this life. Not successful, but faithful. You know what? If you're not living for the Lord, that means if you're not in your Bible and praying every day, and if you're not teaching your kids and living it before your kids, I know this, you won't ever witness You'll never witness. Guys, can I just say something? I'm just going to... This is, this is, this is going to sting, okay? I'm talking to the men. My sister, my sister Judy, she was a complete mess. Man, nobody ever thought she'd turn out to be anything. <clears throat> Everybody thought she'd completely ruin her life. She was the joke of our family, the black sheep for sure. My sister gave her life to the Lord. Just like she gave her life to sin, she gives her life to the Lord now. And she's won more people to Christ than most men that I know. Most preachers that I know. And she's not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree. She's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But she loves the Lord. And she figured out a way to witness. And she uses it. And she's won scores of people to Christ. What's your excuse? I'd spend some time learning how to do it. That's where you start. Let's go ahead and bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this message tonight. And God... uh, If we all are honest before you, we'd have to say that we're unfaithful servants. And uh, Lord, none of us, none of us can exalt ourselves above another. And it's only by the goodness of God and the grace of God that we get to do anything that is good or of lasting value. And Lord, if it hadn't been for your grace and for the gospel that came into our lives, Lord, uh, we'd be going just the rest of the way of the world.